Bill Barnwell. By the way, every time I say your name, I want to say it like Bill Bradsky in SNL, but we're not going to do that. Thanks for joining us today, sir. How's your post Thanksgiving glow coming along? Well, Clinton, you know, I live in a public park. And so there's lots of landscaping going around as I watch the old 22 and, and grind the numbers in Excel. So please excuse me if it sounds like there is mysterious yard work happening around me uh, as I talk to you today. We are now past Thanksgiving. The calendar is about to turn to December. And all that means is that we're into the home stretch of the NFL regular season. So what is the Bill Barnwell experience this time of year as the games start to mean more and more each week, sir? Oh, boy. How do I say this nicely, Clinton? There's a narrowing going on. Beginning of the season, I'm like a puppy. My first day at doggy daycare, I'm just excited. There's smells, there's new things to explore. I want to see every team's all 22. By now, I'm more of a grizzled vet. Teams are dropping like flies for my relevant scale. I I can tell you, no disrespect to the commanders and their fans, I'm not going to be paying much attention to their defense in the middle of the week when I have time to watch all 22. Whatever the Giants offense does with Tommy DeVito, great. I will check it out in May when I have more time. The next two months are going to be focusing on teams who are competing for playoff spots and hopefully competing for a Super Bowl. Oh, taking shots at DeVito. What are we doing? The Sopranos would be proud. You know what? The, the, the cutlets the cutlets will still be there by the time we get to May. I, I, I know a lot of people look like Tommy DeVito. I grew up in the New York area. Plenty of friends from North Jersey. They're not watching Giants games closely either. I can be honest with you. Most importantly... Our other NFL correspondent on this program, ESPN Daily, is Kevin Clark. Do you have more wins than him on Around the Horn at this point or not? Not only do I have fewer wins than Kevin Clark on Around the Horn, but Kevin has beat me, I think, twice in showdowns so far, Clinton. So it's been very upsetting. I don't know if it's the fact that he dresses so professionally. Obviously, he has great takes. But that is something that has haunted me. When I have been saying I'm going to watch less Commander's tape, uh, less Giants tape, that implies that I'm watching more football. I'm really just watching more around the horn, trying to figure out what I can do to win those showdowns. Well, you're about 100 behind me. Both of you (laughs) combined. How about that? Clinton Yates, Bill Barnwell, showdown. The Cowboys couldn't get a Josh Dobbs jersey on Sunday either because they couldn't get close (laughs) enough to tackle him and grab his jersey. The last time we heard about an Arizona quarterback using an iPad, it was Kyler Murray and him not doing it. This is 10 times better. Parsons (laughs) did get him once, but you're right. They barely got a hand on that jersey. Bill Bardwell, career win number two. Let's go around the horn. Stop me if you've heard this one before. The real NFL season doesn't start until Thanksgiving. Well, after a dozen weeks of action, Turkey Day has come and gone, and the postseason is approaching more quickly than you'd think. So Bill Barnwell joins the show to tell us who's ready to separate themselves from the pack in the league, where they play, for pay. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Thursday, November 30th. This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, Bill, let's start at the top of the AFC. You've got the Ravens at nine and three and the Chiefs, Dolphins and Jaguars, as I call them all at eight and three. So as we head down the stretch, what stands out to you about this particular race to the number one seat? I think I would say how wide open it still is. I think the Ravens and the Chiefs should be the favorites, especially Kansas City. But from my perspective, none of these teams are dominant on a week-after-week basis. The Chiefs are, are the favorites by FPI, not because of how they've played, but because of their schedule. They don't have a single game remaining against a team with a winning record. So they don't get tough competition. But when you think about how the Chiefs have played, over the past month hasn't really been inspiring. They lost to the Broncos, lost to the Eagles, nearly blew a 21-0 lead against the Dolphins, and went down 14-0 against the Raiders last week before storming back. So you think about this Chiefs team, and they've been dominant in years past, but their last maybe only dominant game this year might have been the Bears in week three. This has been a team that I think feels more vulnerable than your typical Chiefs team atop the AFC playoff picture with a month to go. There are humans in the world, however, that believe that the Ravens arguably could be undefeated, having gone into every fourth quarter this season up. What do you think about that in terms of their ability to close games and that so-called real factor when it comes to finishing? Yeah, absolutely there's real concerns about the Ravens. And this is not a one-season thing, right? They've had a habit of blowing games in frustrating situations in years past. The Dolphins game from last year comes to mind. Tunnel by Lohr. Blocked by Onstead. Two into the end zone. Caught for the touchdown! Caught for the touchdown! Waddle! Miami has taken the lead! Here they go. Third and one. Lamar will uncork. And pray. Deep downfield. Incomplete. No yellow. Zeros on the clock. The Dolphins have pulled off the They've been the most dominant team in football at their best. But they also kind of have games where it feels like they're playing with their food for three quarters and then they get blown up in the fourth. They lost to the Colts in a game where they couldn't catch the ball. The Steelers, the Browns, games where they were sloppy and couldn't protect the ball and gave up a defensive touchdown. That to me, is something that you'd be optimistic about if you're a Ravens fan because you know any given week, no matter who's out there, you can not just win but dominate the opposing team. But whether it's injuries, whether it's inconsistency, they haven't been able to get focus for four quarters week after week after week. And it's a, it can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on how you want to position it. 
moving down to that sort of second tier at the top, how much do you trust the Dolphins and the Jags at this point? I mean, are mm. they too flawed in your opinion to come out of the AFC in February, or do you see a path to the Super Bowl for either of them? I do see a path, but I think it's going to come down to their defenses. And we talk more about the offenses with those teams, but obviously to a Tango Vailoa, the Dolphins offense was, they scored 70 points in week three. You're going to talk about the offense. Jags offense with Trevor Lawrence, we expected that to be kind of what pushed them forward this year. But I think the defenses are really going to be the bigger stories here moving forward. And you start with the Dolphins, and they've been great since Jalen Ramsey came back from his meniscus injury. Since week eight, they've been the best defense in football by EPA per play, expected points added per play, a measure of of the impact you're having on a play-by-play basis. So that's good. On the other hand, they did play Patrick Mahomes, but they've played Mac Jones, Aiden O'Connell, and Tim Boyle during that stretch. And those quarterbacks are not particularly good. They're in the top six all season in pressure rate and sack rate. That's good. Good pass rush under Vic Fangio. But that was with Jalen Phillips, who became the latest player, unfortunately, to suffer a torn Achilles on the turf in North Jersey this past week. Mm. So if the Dolphins really do have a top five defense with Ramsey in the fold, which is not out of the realm of possibility, they don't need the offense to score 70 to win. I, I believe they are a legitimate contender for the top team in the AFC. And then on the Jags side, they have actively been winning games with their defense all season. They're third in the NFL in win probability added on that side of the ball behind the Ravens and the Steelers. If you're third in defense than anything and you're behind the Ravens and the Steelers, usually a sign you're doing something right. And we've talked a lot about the Bills Josh Allen this year. I'm going to show we're going to talk about him more as this podcast goes on. But the other Josh Allen, the pass rusher, is having a career year with 12 sacks. Helped bring down C.J. Stroud twice on that final drive against the Texans last week. Stroud, pocket collapsing, and down he goes! Sacked again! Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. Forcing them to try a 58-yard field goal that came up about two feet short of sending the game to overtime. So those sacks played a huge role in winning the game for Jacksonville, Foyasade Aluakon, free agent linebacker from the Falcons, who they added last year, has been playing at an all-pro level. And that's impacted what was the biggest weakness on their defense and one that's particularly relevant to playing the top teams in the AFC, which is stopping tight ends. The Jaguars were last in the NFL last year on defending tight ends by the QBR metric. They gave up 14 catches to Travis Kelsey in that playoff loss to the Chiefs. This year, with the Lewicom playing at a high level, they are the third best defense in football against tight ends this season. If anything, the offense has been the problem. As I said, here looking at the Jags, their schedule is pretty easy. If they can just get the offense going to the point where it was a year ago, they also have the ability to compete for the top seed in the AFC. Okay. So that's the top of the playoff picture in the AFC, but there is a fun race for the three wild card spots emerging as well. We got the Steelers, we got the Browns, we got the emerging Broncos, we got the Texans with the aforementioned CJ Stroud, the Colts, and of course the Bills are all in the mix. Putting Buffalo aside, big picture, how do you handicap this one, Barnwell, the wild card hunt? Total chaos. It feels like you have 11 teams with a plausible chance, at the very least, of competing for three playoff spots. And all of them have flaws. The Browns and the Colts are on backup quarterbacks because their starters are out for the year. The Broncos, and to some extent the Steelers, maybe not as much, but the Broncos and the Steelers have been like national laughingstocks at different points this season. 
The Bills, we're going to talk about, have one win over a team with a winning record all season. They have the Cowboys and the Chiefs coming up after their bye. It really feels like, and this is the most cliche answer, like someone's going to get hot is what it boils down to. We're seeing the Broncos on a winning streak right now. Uh, We've seen the Steelers play really well. They were much better last week after firing Matt Canada. It just feels like this is up for total grabs and there's just no team you can feel totally confident in with a few weeks to go here. The Texans are an exciting team in this mix too. You can see a very bright road ahead for them. But I want to turn to the Broncos because they are the biggest surprise to me in this group. They were basically pronounced dead after giving up 70 to the Dolphins. They lost the Nathaniel Hackett Bowl to the Jets, embarrassing Sean Payton even further in the process, by the by. And the Russell Wilson marriage appeared to be a disaster. But after starting off one in five, they've won five straight and are in the mix at six and five. Bill, are they for real? I think they're for real. And... There's some priors built in there. I, I had them making the playoffs before the season and did not feel especially smart with that 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 opinion after week three, to be honest. But this defense has transformed itself. They allowed 70 points to the Dolphins in that game in week three. Over the last five games, the five-game winning streak, they've allowed a total, a total of 80 points over that stretch. And it's not like, you know, I mentioned the Dolphins and how bad the quarterbacks they've played. It's been, that's not the case. The Broncos have done this against Josh Allen, two games against Patrick Mahomes during this winning streak. And and a guy who I think deserves a lot of credit for what's happened there is Vance Joseph, who everybody wanted to fire after three weeks in the job after that Dolphins game. Vance Joseph has helped right the ship on the defense with the Denver Broncos. All right, stick with old faithful, the Steelers. They always seem to be hanging around. They always find a way. They fired former offensive coordinator Matt Canada, and it seemed like half Mm -hmm. of Pittsburgh wanted him gone. There were (laughs) fights breaking out in the locker room. Kenny Pickett has taken a step back in year two, maybe. Deontay Johnson isn't exactly diving on fumbles, (laughs) and Tomlin still has this team competing. Man, How does he keep getting away with this? (laughs) I, I would love to have some like really cool, obscure, like new school analytical metric to give you for this one. I'd love to tell you that they have some secret win probability trick that no one else has. <laughs> They're winning the turnover battle. Like it's the oldest school thing in the world, but it's true. The Steelers offense, they've been terrible by so many measures this year. They've been unwatchably bad. But the one thing they don't do that bad offenses do is turn the football over. They only have nine giveaways this year. Believe that's the fewest in all of football. Then you have TJ Watt and company. They forced 20 takeaways this year. They have a plus 11 turnover margin. Number one in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers. And when they win the turnover battle, they win. They're six and two. So yes, the offense was terrible under Matt Canada. And I don't expect it to be great in the weeks to come. But if you can just be terrible and end all your drives with punts as opposed to turnovers, again, it's an old school classic coaching cliche, but it has worked for the Steelers and probably is going to get them back into the postseason. All right, let's get back up to Orchard Park because we have to talk about the Bills. Things are getting sad now. They're at 500, 6-6, heartbreaking loss to the Eagles on Sunday. I might have said that I think that Hurts is a better quarterback than Allen overall. That's Mm -hmm. another discussion. Ken Dorsey already gone. The villagers, pitchforks, circling, the wagons. They're looking for Sean McDermott. What does the future hold for this team? They're going to have to retool at the very least. Rebuild might be too harsh of a word, but retooling is certainly 
going to happen. And there's a really fascinating sort of approach here when you think about how teams build around championship caliber quarterbacks. Let's look at what the Bills did last year, because I think to me, last year was when their roster was designed to peak. They were the favorites, I believe, to win the Super Bowl before the year right alongside the Chiefs. And they went out and used their cap space, the money they had to work with, to make an all-in move. They signed Von Miller to a massive deal, a 33-year-old edge rusher. They give him basically three guaranteed years, which a lot of teams are not willing to do for players in their mid-30s on the free agent market. So they made their all-in move and it has not worked. Miller tore his ACL last season. This year, he's been a part-time player playing about 25, 30% of the snaps per game. Does not have a single sack in eight games. And while Josh Allen's interceptions, the, the firing of Ken Dorsey, the offense has been the concern here and certainly attracted most of the attention The defense right now is the problem with the Bills. They lost a pair of key contributors to injuries. Matt Milano, star inside linebacker, and cornerback Tredavious White to season-ending injuries, and they haven't really recovered. Since week five, when Milano broke his leg, the Bills have dropped to 21st in the NFL in points allowed per possession. And and Sunday is the classic example, right? I mean, they are in a rainstorm against the Eagles, terrible conditions, playing a great defense. Allen plays out of his mind. He leads them to 34 points on offense. And that still wasn't enough for the Bills to win. If the Bills had drafted well over the past couple of years, there'd be guys ready to step in. You'd have your Kyrie Elims, your AJ Epinesis, your Cody Fords. Those guys would be playing meaningful roles and getting ready for extensions. But those guys did not work out. And so the Bills had to go out and sign free agents. They had to go out and make trades and supplement their roster that way. And so... They don't have a lot of financial flexibility. They're already $40 million over the cap next year. They'll make changes and restructures to get under, but this is not a team that has a ton of uh, flexibility. I wonder if for 2024 for the Bills, I wonder if that's like their Rams season, like the Rams this year, where they mm. got rid of a bunch of veterans, they dropped back, they said, okay, we're not going to compete this year, but we're going to build around our young players, develop, and then make a step forward in 2025. I think for the Bills, I wouldn't be shocked if they had to take that kind of step backwards next year under Sean McDermott, because I really think they've gone as far as they can with this core of, of veteran stars. Coming up, we're going to take a look at the teams on the NFC side and their playoff chase. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. 
every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, Bill, let's start with the two teams in the NFC that would probably be ranked first and second if the NFL went by the old BCS college formula. That would be the Eagles and the Niners. They meet on Sunday in a rematch of last season's NFC title game, which we all remember was a mess for the Niners. So before we look at the playoff race itself, what are you checking for in this specific matchup? Yeah, I think there's real vulnerabilities that have popped up for each of these teams over the past couple of weeks because of injuries that each of these teams are well-positioned to exploit. So start on the Niners side. They lost Talanoa Hufanga, their excellent safety, to a torn ACL. They have uh, Jair Brown, their rookie safety, I think a third-round pick now entering the lineup. He played regularly last week. They lost George Odom, who was going to be a special teams guy, maybe a person to fall back on if Brown didn't play well, to an injury himself. He's done for an extended period of time. So... That's going to be a real weakness for the Eagles to attack. They put so much pressure on defenders, not just with their wide receivers against cornerbacks, but also the threat of Jalen Hurts as a runner. The Eagles are so good at manipulating safeties and linebackers, creating numbers advantages for themselves in the running game, and then forcing your safeties, your linebackers, to come up and tackle Jalen Hurts in open space. We saw last week the game-winning touchdown. Hurts on a quarterback draw. He's at the five. He's in. Micah Hyde was not able to bring down Jalen Hurts on his run into the end zone. Micah Hyde's a great safety, so Brown's going to have to play well. They can't hide him in this game. And then you flip it to Philadelphia's side, the one player outside of Jalen Hurts to be the one player they cannot afford to lose for an extended period of time, unfortunately happens to be one of the most injury-prone players in all of football. That's right, tackle Lane Johnson, who is awesome, but a player who has dealt with injury after injury during his time as a pro. And the stats here date back over a decade. Go back to the 11 years he's been in the NFL with the Eagles, whether it's Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts. Eagles quarterbacks drop precipitously when Johnson's not on the field. They have a 62.2 QBR over the past 11 years with Johnson on the field and a 45.9 mark without him. That's bad enough. But then you think about who Johnson would be blocking on Sunday It's a guy named Nick Bosa who is quite good at getting after the quarterback. He's going to line up against the right tackle. So as much as the Eagles are going to try and attack Brown at safety for the Niners, the Niners are going to line up Nick Bosa against Jack Driscoll on the right side if Johnson can't play and go after the weakest part on this Eagles offensive line. So we'll see if Johnson can play. Obviously, if he can play through a groin injury, that would be a major upgrade for the Eagles. The thing is that regardless of what happens on Sunday, the Eagles will still be atop the conference. The Niners are behind them along with the Lions and the Cowboys who are still trying to keep pace with Philly and they face Seattle tonight. With apologies to the Seahawks, the Eagles, Niners, Lions, and Cowboys seem to be the best in the conference. How does this one shake out in the wash? This feels much more geared towards the Eagles. I know that they don't look quite as dominant as they did a year ago. I mean, they literally got booed by their fans at halftime last week in the middle of a season where they have one loss all year. But 
if they can just win the next two games against the Niners and the Cowboys, they'll have banked so many wins and have so many tiebreakers in their favor that they could coast down the stretch and it's not going to matter. The upshots model at the New York Times would give the Eagles a 99% chance of winning the top seed in the conference if they can beat the Niners and the Cowboys over the next two games. But hey, they lose both of them, which is not out of the question. They would drop to 35%. So for the Eagles... Not only are they in position to be the top seed in the NFC heading into the postseason, but we've seen how much that matters. Last year, they struggled in December. Hertz got injured. They lost a couple games. Felt like the wheels might be coming off. Hertz came back. He wasn't his usual self, but he still managed to get that win in Week 18. That got the Eagles the first round by. That's all they needed. They came back in the postseason, blew out the Giants, blew out the Niners, and then came within a couple plays of winning the Super Bowl. So... If they can just win these next two games, they could give Hurts a couple weeks off. Let him go on vacation. He deserves it. The Eagles will be in great shape to make it back to the Super Bowl. In week one of the NFL season, some of us on national television told America that the Lions were going to beat the Chiefs. That's how you rack up the wins, Mr. Barnwell. (laughs) And then they come out on Thanksgiving in a game that's their big coming out party and they fall to the Packers. I want to believe in these Lions so bad. What do you think is going to happen with them and how this shakes out with the fight in Dan Campbell's? I don't buy it. I, I, I think the Lions are a good team, but I don't like them being built to come from behind against some of these tougher teams in the NFC. And the issue for me is not the offense, even though Jared Goff has struggled. It's the defense. It's been struggling for two months now. And they've had some injuries in the secondary they lost Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. They lost Emmanuel Mosley. Those are going to be two of their three starting cornerbacks they added in free agency this offseason. Aiden Hutchinson's playing out of his mind. He's been awesome, but they don't have a secondary pass rusher. If you can stop Hutchinson or slow him down, they don't have a guy who's going to get after you. And so would love to believe in the Lions. I think they were great over the first month of the year, but... To me, I think they're still a tier below the Eagles and the Niners. And to some, and I would say the Cowboys as well. I think they're the fourth best team comfortably in the NFC. Speaking of the Cowboys, one of the best drawn-up plays I've seen all season was Dak Prescott going into that big red thing and getting a turkey leg out of it following a score. That kind of hijinks aside, what do you think about this squad that looks to be coming together at the right time? Oh, I, I, I have a question. I don't want to put that aside. <laughs> What what's going on with Thanksgiving, like like food? Are, are are they eating turkey legs that have been left out in red buckets for four hours? That has to be disgusting, right? So there was some discussion of this, and from my understanding, they had coordinated it earlier in the week, cleared it with Jerry Jones of all people, just to show how important this bit was to them, and so they put them in at the quarter breaks and at halftime, so they knew where they were going to be by the time they scored again. Tremendous play call all around and a heck of a disrespectful move for a rivalry game as well. You just love that rust flavor and your turkey leg <laughs> that you get from the bottom of the Salvation Army bell. Leaving my issues with the food hygiene uh, on the field in Dallas aside, Cowboys offense is legitimate. I mean, they're playing great football. And Dak Prescott, uh, to me, he's an MVP candidate. Over the past six weeks, he has an 80.7 QBR. That's 12 points better than anybody else in the league. Admittedly, the schedule has not been especially tough over this year. They play the Eagles. 
But the Rams, the Giants, the Panthers, the Commanders, the Chargers, not necessarily the stiffest competition, but you still got to beat those guys. And Dak has been incredible over that stretch. He looks great. I mean, he looks more mobile, I think, than he has at any point since his ankle injury. He looks confident. Snap to Prescott, fake to Pollard. Deep and going to the middle, and there's Cooks all alone. In the middle of the end zone, touchdown Cowboys. 31 yards from Prescott to Cooks. He's making throws where he's protecting the football. He's not putting the football in danger. The interceptions that I feel like we talked about for six months were a one-year fluke. His interception rate's back down to where it was historically. He looks like he has total command of this offense. So we can't count on them because we've been burned for two decades now. But just on the merits of how they're playing, the Cowboys, I think, to me, are playing every bit as good as the Eagles and the Niners right now. Earlier, sir, it is getting closer to three decades, but that's neither here nor there. We did mention that the Seahawks are going to play them tonight, and that team in Seattle, they are in a brutal stretch. They lost in a division matchup against the Rams a couple weeks ago. They got crushed by the Niners on Thanksgiving night at home. And again, the Cowboys are coming, followed by the Niners and the Eagles. Are we looking at a team in free fall for Pete Carroll? It's not looking good at all. This has been a problem brewing over the past few weeks before they've gotten into this terrifying stretch of opponents. They've scored uh, in Seattle a total of three offensive touchdowns over their last four games. That's led to them losing three of their last four games. The offensive line has struggled. Geno Smith's decision-making has been spotty. They've hit third down with an average of 7.8 yards to go over the stretch, which is 25th in the NFL. They need to be better on early downs. I think Geno Smith is a good quarterback, but I don't think anybody would be able to hold up against these sort of pass rushes facing third and long drive after drive. Oof size large, as they say (laughs) on the internet. By the way, we're not going to waste any time with the NFC South because they are (laughs) hapless and everybody in that division is under 500. Somebody's going to end up hosting the Cowboys or the Eagles in the wild card round. But I do want to talk about the Vikings. They dropped an ugly game against the Bears on Monday. By ugly, I mean heinous. We might be getting closer to a Justin Jefferson return, but how do they fit into this picture with that quarterback situation that is patchwork? They're basically a coin flip at this point to make it to the postseason after losing to the Bears on Monday night. And it's frustrating because objectively, on a play-by-play basis, they are a much better team than the team that won 13 games a year ago. But that team had incredible luck in close games. This team, below average luck with Close game results, injuries, fumble recoveries. They have not been a lucky team this year. This is a team that's winning games or competing in games because of a great defense. And Brian Flores deserves so much credit for turning this defense around. The Vikings are fourth in the NFL, the fourth best defense in football by expected points added per play from week four on. That's ahead of the Jets, ahead of the 49ers over that stretch. And they do get Jefferson back after the bye. Joshua Dobbs has not had Justin Jefferson for any of his starts. They haven't seen Jefferson for weeks now. You have to figure that's going to help. But whether it's Dobbs, whether it's Mullins, whether they flip back and forth over the next few weeks, it feels like they can't get out of their own way at times. I haven't given up faith in the pastronaut, even if his parents look like they'd rather be anywhere else but watching him play football when they're in the crowd. But at the end here, Bill, we are seeing several kind of underwhelming teams fighting for that seventh seed in the NFC. That's what happens with an extra playoff team. But who do you like the most to find their way into the NFC playoffs? I would put the Green Bay Packers 
number one. And again, this might be priors. I had them making the playoffs before the year. But I will say, I don't think anybody had a better Thanksgiving week than the Green Bay Packers. So you start by beating the Lions on Thanksgiving morning in a game where they outplayed the Lions throughout that contest. Then the Seahawks lose. The Vikings lose. Your, your two wild card teams in the competition, they both lose. The Saints lose to the Falcons. And admittedly, both those teams are in the NFC wild card hunt. One of them is going to win the division. The Packers would rather it be the Falcons because they lost to the Falcons. The Packers beat the Saints. So in a wild card competition, the Packers would have the tiebreaker over New Orleans and not have the tiebreaker over Atlanta. So that's a good thing for the Packers. The Jets even lost, which improves the value of the second round pick the Packers are getting from the Aaron Rodgers trade. A beautiful week for Green Bay fans. They're probably about a 50-50 coin flip with the Vikings to make it to the postseason at this point. And if anything, I might be a little more optimistic than those numbers because we're seeing Jordan Love improve in real time. We're seeing him get better at improvising. We've seen him be a more accurate passer, especially downfield. He's been able to find guys, different players week after week. So I'm optimistic that the Packers are a lot better than their record right now, which is five and six. Well, Bill, I'd like to think that we improved in real time as this podcast progressed. I'll see you on TV soon, buddy. Apparently, they just let anybody in the building these days. Please don't insult Kevin like that. That's not nice. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's what we were looking for, Bill. Take it. Well done. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.